0: Welcome to Too Good To Be True, an investigative podcast about exposing the scams, schemes, and financial cults trying to separate you from your money.
1: I am Ryan Houlihan, a journalist, drag artist, and YouTuber in New York City.
0: And I'm Julia Lorenz Olson. I am an accredited financial counselor, and I create uh, Two Cents on PBS. It is so good to be back. It is so good to be back.
1: Are you ready to bust up some scams, some gurus? Listen, uh,
0: I have my boxing gloves on. (laughs) One says, like, capitalists, and then the other says patriarchy. I'm like, yes, let's get in there. So
1: today we are talking about a big deal in the real estate world, the tech world. Airbnb.
0: Yeah.
1: So for those who don't know about Airbnb, uh, and I don't know who you would be, but (laughs) Airbnb is essentially a website and an app that you can download where consumers can go on and rent regular normal houses or apartments as kind of like hotel rooms. But that's not all it is. It's an online short-term rental market where individuals and increasingly large management companies can offer part or all of their property inventory for rent. The company was founded in 2008 by Brian Chesky. After a while, Airbnb sort of like took on the place of hotels. For sure. Mostly this Transfer of like ways of thinking of vis a vis staying somewhere happened because of the internet. You had things like hotels.com that made it really easy to book anywhere, compare prices. And once that technology was kind of in place and the thinking about travel like switched from travel agents to kind of doing it yourself, Mm -hmm. the idea of doing it yourself on the other end sort of started popping up. And at first, you had people who were switching houses. Like if you've ever seen the movie The Holiday. Yes, yeah. yes. That was a trend for a while. But then people started thinking like similar to, I guess, how money evolved in culture. Why am I swapping yes. and doing trades when I could turn it into I some don't kind of I don't
0: need to barter my house. But it's so funny you say that. Literally, maybe a week ago, I was looking at going somewhere and my mom was like, what if you just found someone to swap houses with? I'm like, mom, I don't. No, that's not how it works.
1: (laughs) I don't need to start a correspondence over the next. No thank you. (laughs) About their personal life. So this phenomena, especially when it was flowing with VC money during the tech days, the booming tech days, drove down the prices of the hotel market. Obviously, because you had a competitor that could provide a variety of price points that a hotel necessarily wasn't or couldn't. But the problem with this really rapid transformation, as with any of these really rapid transformations that we've <laughs> talked about, like social media, the government and regulation has not been able to yeah. keep up with the market or the constantly changing customs being invented by Airbnb hosts every day. Mm-hmm. So an Airbnb might look like a hotel in when you're doing a booking site, but in the actual logistics of how it works... It's a very different set of rules and customs and fees that you might not be thinking about. Like, for example, cleaning fees, which you don't have at a hotel.
0: (laughs) No, you do not.
1: I've never been a host, but I imagine I'd be a very annoying stickler about the rules. And that's probably not the best situation for a guest.
0: Well, you are talking to one of the newest Airbnb hosts, believe it or not. Oh, wow.
1: Let's do a case study of a host. What's your plan?
0: So the reason I looked into it, one, I've I've just personally used the platform for many years. I, I think I like the original idea that it's kind of around, I think, just making a more efficient use of space, mm-hmm. opening your space up when it may not be used. So um, we bought a n- kind of newer, larger house at the end of 2021, and it's it's just really nice. We have like a creek in the backyard. And I just always knew it was like, I could, when I'm not here, this could be a great Airbnb. So it was it was a very small part, but it was something that I considered when I wanted to buy the house. So my hope is just basically to supplement the um, amount we spend on our travel when we leave.
1: Well, that was the original purpose and uh, stated purpose of Airbnb. And it certainly is the way to do it. And anything other or more complicated than that, let's take a look at it today. So
0: so what you're telling me is I'm not part of the problem and I don't have to feel bad about anything. Fantastic.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, we'll get into it. So in America, we have a working class and an ownership class. One of those gets money for doing nothing and the other has to do labor. Airbnb has exploded as a way for people in the working class to attempt to own something that they can monetize without having to give up any more of their labor. This is what people call passive income, but actually achieving quote unquote passive income is a lot more complicated than anyone really wants to believe.
0: I just want to make this like as clear as I possibly can because I can't tell you how many times a week I get on the phone with people who like are thinking about becoming clients of mine and they're I'm asking them like, what prompted the reach out? Like, why are you talking to me, a professional? And they're like, well, I want to create passive income. Passive income is never passively created. (laughs) Never. In order to generate revenue, like true revenue from any kind of investment, the investment has to be worth a certain amount in order for you to be able to afford to peel off usable cash flow for yourself. So for example, you know, I mean, $50,000, that seems like a lot of money, right? And so I'll often get people who are like, hey, I got this, you know, inheritance from my aunt or grandma and like, I want to create passive income off of this. So let's say you have 50 grand. If you don't want that 50 grand to shrink, you have to invest it pretty cautiously so you don't lose the principal which is the income generating piece of this whole thing right so generally we tell people that like you can estimate at most like a 4% withdrawal rate of whatever your principal is which on 50 grand that's $2000 a year like you're not living on that money yeah. right that's that's $166 a month so let's oh. say let's say you got a million I mean, that sounds like, you know, more than you can even, uh, your brain can even handle. That's 40 grand a year. Can you live on 40 grand? No. I can't live on 40 no. grand. So you want to match that 80 grand salary? You need to double that, you know? So, and how is something like $2 million made? It's made by inheritance, something like that. You got a rich, a rich somebody that's given you this money. Which is like winning lotto. Yeah. You're basically winning the genetic lottery or you have a wickedly high salary. Which is not passive. No, not passive that you are working for. And combined with that, you have to live extremely modestly on that crazy income for a pretty extended period of time and shove All of that away in order to get that kind of, you know, that amassed amount that you can then say, okay, I can turn off my earned income and go to, quote unquote, passive. But that that thing was not passively made. It's just it's all crap. It's a scam. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it is. And the people pushing Airbnb as a passive income silver bullet are often likely to be the people that will emphasize to you that you don't even need to own the property.
2: I just made $16,000 in passive income. A week ago, I listed my first Airbnb property and someone just booked it out for 56 nights. This process is called rental arbitrage, where you lease a place and you make sure with the front office that it's okay that you do a corporate lease. You furnish it and then you list it on Airbnb. I learned all the in and outs on how to do this from Derek. Probably the most worth it thing I've ever done investment-wise. If you want to learn how to do this, check out his information at
0: the
3: top of my page.
0: How are they packaging this idea that you can create streams of income off something that you don't actually have any principal put into?
1: So there's this thing called arbitrage, which Investopedia defines as, quote, the simultaneous purchase and sale of the same or similar asset in different markets in order to profit from tiny differences in the asset's listed price. It exploits short-lived variations in the price of identical or similar financial instruments in different markets or in different forms. Arbitrage exists as a result of market inefficiencies, And it both exploits those inefficiencies and resolves them. Now, there is a new kind of arbitrage Airbnb business in which you don't even need to purchase the rental unit to then rent it out. So what you're going to do is you're going to rent it yourself and then just up the margin And say like, okay, I'm going to add this amount on which is my overhead and what I want to make on it and then re-renting it out to somebody else.
0: How is that okay?
1: So where it is legal, there is a lack of regulation. But a lot of people are doing it even if it isn't. Hayden Verdon on Vice said, quote, the idea is that people sign long term contracts with landlords to rent their properties, guaranteeing the landlord an income for a certain amount of time. With the landlord's consent, they then convert these places into short-term lets or houses for multiple occupation, which means they can rent them out for more than they are paying and then just scalp the difference.
0: I just like, as the landlord in that situation, like, how is that appealing in any way? I like, I could just do that myself.
1: Well, the the beauty of it is you might not think that you could get those prices on the market. So you now have these people trapped. So the the arbitrage version of the landlord is then trapped into paying the full year. And if they don't, you can go after them legally. No,
0: that makes sense. It's kind of like you're giving up reward you know a possible reward for making way more on a short term rental rather than a long term rental if your need is like stability then yeah yeah
1: you can lower your risk be like good luck like, <laughs> yeah, especially in a in a in a market that is up and coming those that might not last it is it's a narrative that is working to get people involved or whatever but and it might not end up lasting for certain places and especially we saw during covid a lot of travel didn't last yes And hand in hand with nobody really, you know, enforcing this regulation is nobody's checking and that includes the landlord that actually owns the property. Like a lot of the times these are major corporations that aren't really... They don't have like, they're not coming by regularly to check on the property. That makes sense. There are people who engage in that small time arbitrage. And at worst, they get locked into a long term rental agreement, which sucks. But also you can get out of those. There are ways to wiggle around or you just pay out the year. Then there are the people who are doing it the quote-unquote right way, who want to actually own the property that they want to put on Airbnb. And even though those people often come from a position of really great financial privilege because they've got the principle to invest.
0: Pointing at myself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> lucky. They are then exposing themselves to another massive type of financial danger in the form of overleveraging. Being overleveraged basically just means you have way too much debt compared to your initial investment.
0: So think of it like a seesaw. On one end you have the down payment, the principal that you're putting into the thing at the very
1: That's front your end. first initial investment in this whole thing.
0: Exactly. And on the other side, you have the amount of debt that you are taking out in the form of the mortgage on the other side. So, I mean, that principal side, if it's on a seesaw, like, you're being shot to the moon at this point. Like, it's weighted really heavily in the favor of the amount of debt that you have.
1: So, if you're having any trouble understanding this, and I certainly did the first time I was going (laughs) through all this information… I'm going to give you a really practical example of how this could play out that was on RoofStock.com, but it has such great round numbers that I think it's easy I to I
0: love me some round numbers. <laughs> mm. <laughs> me
1: too. I need them. <laughs> <laughs> so let's assume an investor purchases a $100,000 rental property for a down payment of 5%. That's $5,000. And finances the rest. If the gross annual rental income is $12,000 and operating expenses are $4,800, the annual mortgage payment, the principal and interest is $5,450. The annual pre-tax cash flow is 1750. By dividing the pre-tax cash flow of 1750 and the total cash invested of $5,000, the cash-on-cash cash return would be 35%.
3: Oh, that
0: sounds very sexy. Sounds great. Right?
1: While an annual return of 35% might be really impressive to you on paper, there is a high level of risk involved when an investor is overleveraged. By dividing the pre-tax cash flow by 12 months, we can see that the investor generates a positive cash flow of only $145.83 per month. <laughs> Lord. That small amount of cash doesn't leave you any room for error if something was yeah. to go wrong with your property, right? For example, the total expenses for operating and financing the rental property in this example are $10,250 per year or $854.17 per month. If the current tenant leaves and it takes longer than expected to find another qualified tenant or if like a costly repair has to get made, cash flow on an overleveraged property could turn negative in a blink of an eye.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know, you know, when I was in lending, you couldn't put 5% down on a home you weren't personally going to live in. You had to put 20 if you're just outright buying an investment property. And if you lie about that, that's mortgage fraud. And they go lock you up like it's serious. You do not want to be playing around with that. And I mean, I tell this to my clients all the time. If you really want to make money in sort of the rental land, you know, of real estate, you need to be a handyman. Like, you need to be all up in YouTube understanding how to DIY everything. Because the idea that, I mean, 145 bucks a month, right?
1: Who are you
2: I mean, hiring?
0: Who are you hiring for $100? not a plumber, not a, not an electrician, not even, I couldn't even like replace. Not a cleaning service. Oh, hell no. I couldn't like replace my, you know, little toaster oven for that much. No, that's ridiculous. And I mean, just thinking about this, coming back to this particular scenario, if the principal and interest is like $54.50 a year, I mean, what about the property taxes? What about the homeowner's insurance that you've got to have? And often there are other types of insurance policies that you want, especially if you have a rental property that are going to cause more. I mean, if you put those in, which you cannot
1: get out of. Or maybe HOA
0: fees. Yeah, HOA fees. You're not making any money. This is a negative cash flow situation here. So, Or you
1: need to be charging such an insane amount, like an insane yeah. rate that you're not going to get the bookings. So- where this gets really bad, people will start taking on multiple properties in order to make the business. Oh work. yikes! And when you do that, you're opening yourself up to so much more risk. I mean, obviously, you're doubling your risk every time, but all of those variables mean that if something goes wrong for one of your properties, it can affect all the investment you've made in this entire thing. Definitely.
0: And let's not forget that you know you might be making money hand over fist. For a couple of months out of the year. But travel is a very seasonal business, right? So you're not going to have these super high occupancy rates all the time. And like, let's say you have uh, something cute on the beach in Florida, and then you have freaking red tide, right? Like there's so many things completely outside of your control that even if your space is like perfect and cute, and you have all this great money to upkeep it, there are countless things outside of your control that will just in a second completely take that ability to make money
1: oh wait people get sold on the dream without realizing the specifics of how it would actually work even if you were to achieve it we received some insight on why that is from julian and kirsten saunders of the rich and regular podcast and youtube channel julian and kirsten are also a married couple both entrepreneurs former real estate investors and authors of the book cashing out win the wealth game by walking away
3: So I guess from the host perspective, since its inception, Airbnb has become more of a type of real estate investing where people can invest in real estate the traditional way. But instead of pursuing a long term lease and a long term tenant, they're turning short term tenants over and over again throughout a year.
4: People are not just looking at owning property for long-term leases anymore like they're looking to fill in the gaps even on the short-term basis just to list it as an airbnb maybe to cover the mortgage or any of the other costs associated with owning property in the last couple of years we've seen a huge spike um in the number of people who are sort of using the option of owning and managing short-term rentals as like more than just like a side gig, but almost like a mini small business, like a true real estate lodging portfolio, which I think is really, really interesting. Um, But I don't know that I would consider it to be something that is a get rich quick scheme any more than I would see anything else that has like such really heavy costs associated with it in the short run. There are just too many variables at play that could really uh, impact whether or not you'll be profitable or, or can even survive a downturn.
3: Yeah. I think it earns the title of get rich quick because it's so liquid. I think Airbnb and the short-term rental market solved the liquidity problem that was existing in real estate before, where before you lock yourselves into a rate over a year long period or even longer and the rent was pretty fixed, or at least there were laws that prevented you from just raising the rent dynamically based on what was happening in the area. With Airbnb, if you have a uh, unit in a high traffic area during, say, the Super Bowl or Final Four, you can make a lot of money in a really short period of time. So in that sense, I understand why it's deemed get rich quickly. But the idea that there's no work involved, that there's no customer service, there's no upkeep, there's no communication, that part is missing from social media. The nuance of this not really truly being a passive uh, a passive asset is is... Weird. (laughs) Like it's it's gone.
1: You can easily over-leverage yourself, but you can also overbook yourself because this is a real job.
0: Oh, this is a real job. I have many clients who have rental properties of all kinds, but specifically short-term rental properties. I mean, the idea this is in any way passive is just an abs it's BS. (laughs) BS. <laughs> and it's, it's not a, a ton of work.
1: A business to even understand all the factors going into it. Like this is a full time job because part of your time is going to be spent getting education on the specifics to your city, mm-hmm. your market, yes. the people you're working with. Dan Wilson Craw, the deputy editor of Generation Rent, said, "quote We're in this situation in part because politicians have encouraged house prices to keep rising, which has made property ownership more lucrative than jobs that actually benefit society." Because of that, it is grotesque, but somewhat inevitable to see these entrepreneurs feeding off this desperation, unquote. Oof. So yeah, there's this endless stream of clout chasers and scammers pumping out what they call motivational content, but what you might know as hustle culture or rise and grind or like girl boss style content. This kind of content is usually financial advice or business schemes that prioritize short-term get-rich-quick thinking over your long-term finances or ethical concerns or even the actual odds of any of these scams actually working out for you in the real world, which, spoiler alert, has very different conditions than a 30-second thought experiment in a TikTok from a guy trying to sell you on a hustle Airbnb scam that you could pull. Actually, you know what? This is a good time for us to pull a few samples so that you can get an idea of what we're talking about.
5: I'm a 20-year-old six-figure
1: Airbnb host. Let me show you how to find your first Airbnb. We should break even after about four months
5: of starting. Now let's apply. Joining the Airbnb industry with absolutely no money. You could be making an extra $2,000 from your phone by becoming a
1: co-host. it's a $215,000 side hustle that nobody talks about. And you can do it while working your job or watching your kids. Call the landlord and ask him if they're willing to rent it out under your business. The sites that I use that has good furniture but doesn't break the bank are sites like Target, Overstock, and Wayfair. Make sure to add amenities that are attractive in your market as well. Once you're done, you're gonna list on Airbnb. Your take-home pay is gonna be the revenue that you generate minus all those expenses. This is called rental arbitrage. And this is the method that I use to go from $0 to $215,000 in profit in less than one year with three Airbnbs. And if you wanna start your own rental arbitrage business Business, just DM me 2023, and I'll send you a link to my free live event this Sunday.
3: Here are the steps to start your six-figure Airbnb business. Get the funds to afford all of the expenses. I apply for business credit. To find a property that you're going to use, I actually use Facebook Marketplace. There's a lot of owners on there with good property. You're going to create a professional email pitch, and you'll send that to the owner to get permission for Airbnb. If this video was helpful, comment the word keys, and I'll send you a link to my free Airbnb business masterclass.
1: It's so creepy. I'm sorry. Those... Those TikToks just sound like red flags to me, but I guess not everybody's so discerning. And if real estate's not your thing, Airbnb isn't the only scam that they try to preach about from social media, however. Another example of a quote-unquote hustle is buying a bunch of vending machines, and then all you have to do is keep them stocked. You know, that sounds like, oh, I just, uh, those things print money. But the truth is, like, those are food products that regularly need to be checked in from place. Okay, though. Changing change into cash. (laughs) Which is a task that, if you've done it, can literally take up an entire working day of your life in and of itself. Even with those, like, coin sorting machines, it's not glamorous work. Anyway, so back to the scam of this week. The fact that people are so hungry for financial information and opportunities that they can understand makes it really, really easy to spread misinformation. So right now, riding the algorithm on every social network... There are people who are not just posting stuff for free or posting advertisements that seem like educational. There are people explicitly selling whole courses or oh, yeah. ebooks or products on literally just offering property on short term rental platforms like Airbnb or Verbo that usually only consist of publicly available free information and some really bad ideas about how to scam people through like manipulation techniques. But they're wildly popular. People love Airbnb. You said your goal was to monetize and to make your like space more efficient. But why do you think so many people feel the need to monetize every area of their life now?
0: Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, rising... Uh, costs of living, honestly, you know, you're, you're needing to create multiple streams of income. If something goes wrong in one area of your life, you know, I'm a business owner, which puts me in a more kind of risky place than somebody who might just have a nine to five job. And so, yeah, I'm looking to diversify my income streams. That's for me. That's why I wanted to do it.
1: Yeah, I think it, it, it has a lot to do with that. To The fact that a lot of people live in at-will states, so they don't know what where, what's happening with their job. A lot of people aren't in unions, so they don't have that safety net. So diversifying your income stream looks good. But also, if you've been locked out of traditional wealth building, yes, and you don't feel like there's any hope long-term for yourself to either own anything or create a business of some kind for yourself, especially if you're in a lot of debt and you're in student loan debt, you might say to yourself, okay, this is a great way for me to just start my own business and maybe own property and uh, get my feet wet. But if you're not doing this as just supplemental income when it would already be convenient for you, You're taking on massive financial risks, and why would anyone do that, take on that amount of risk, and work if they weren't desperate to change their circumstances, or just flat out being fooled about what the numbers are going to look like?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I come actually from a lending background, So my first foray into the financial world at all was as a mortgage lender. I was like 22, didn't know shit from shit. And I was like, all of a sudden having to talk people through buying homes. And back then, I mean, I just can't square up what my experience was then and how hard it was to buy a rental property. The amount of money that you had to put down, a lot greater than what you have to put down, even if you're just buying like your personal residence. There's just so many more hoops to go through. And so I just can't imagine this can't be easy doing this nowadays. I don't know what they're doing. How are they getting into these places?
1: Like actually, like you have to buy the the property, right? Then you have to get the right permits for setting up all of the utilities for that property, then you have to factor in the ongoing costs like maintenance, cleaning, furnishing the place, yeah. replacing all the items that get damaged or used like soap and shampoo.
0: I mean, I had like a perfectly set up house. We obviously had all the furniture, all that stuff. It still cost me $3,000 to get all the stuff that I needed, all the sheets, all the towels. And you need to get multiples of everything. And like
1: if you have that- carpeting, you need to cover the carpeting. <laughs>
0: And like, you know, the things that just you as kind of an everyday user of your home don't seem like a big deal, like that chipping paint in the corner, that's the stuff that these people will find out and write a review on. So I was like, nope, I'm redoing my tubs. I'm doing all this stuff. So it is definitely not cheap.
1: Yeah, it's it isn't cheap. And that's like if you already have a furnished home. Yeah. I mean, you're gonna need to buy couches and TVs and all of this. Oh stuff my gosh. Setting this up. But that's you're also gonna have to pay property tax and <laughs> HOA and and other fees specific to your region that you might not be taking into account when you're first doing the like, Oh, I'm gonna make millions of dollars at this in a very short amount of time, math. Julian and Kirsten Saunders of Rich and Regular also share some concerns about the kind of financial choices this is leading some vulnerable people to make and the precarity that they find themselves in because of it.
4: I knew we had an Airbnb problem when one of my good friends last year shot me a DM on Instagram uh, celebrating the fact that he just got a timeshare in Las Vegas and turned it into an Airbnb. Uh, I'm very familiar with timeshare industries and I'm very familiar with Airbnb and real estate. But the combination of doing that, I thought was just a train wreck right now happened. I, I can't think of I can't think of a single way that this is gonna work out for you. And I was like, if anything, you better hope that you're within that two week or th- go back to Vegas right now. <laughs>
3: get your money back <laughs> and
4: get rid of this. Like <laughs> this is this is the worst decision you've ever made. <laughs> but he reached out to me because he was very proud. And again, I think, you know, all jokes aside, I think it it speaks to a lot of things, right? It, it speaks to the salesmanship of the timeshare industry. It speaks to the moment that we're in in terms of social media and Airbnb's being positioned as a really easy, foolproof Catch way low. of getting money. And it also speaks to just how like real... The consequences are for people who are financially and or business illiterate, like the combination of all of those things can lead to people making really risky decisions in an effort to make up for lost time or lost opportunities where they may not have been able to have done some of the more fundamental and proven things to build wealth um, earlier on in their lives. And that's when I knew that we'd hit a really weird moment where people who would never have even thought about that were all of a sudden like going all in on it.
3: I think one of the most important parts for being discerning around financial information online is asking the appropriate follow-up questions, because a lot of people will throw out percentages and numbers and, and income reports without any context. So sometimes you have to be the person to ask, like, compared to what? If you're making more money than another asset, then say, compared to what? Uh, If it's an income statement, then ask what it looks like over time. How long have you had it? And it's important for you as the listener or the follower of that advice to ask those questions because a lot of people will just kind of hide that context in the background before they actually tell you the real, real.
4: Yeah
2: hey guys it's chelsea here and i'm just popping in to let you know about the society at tfd our exclusive members only community available to join here on our youtube channel as well as on patreon if you want to support tfd and the special projects we work on like fan favorite podcast, too good to be true. We'd love for you to join giving to TFD directly is the best way to ensure that we can keep making the content you most want from us. The society is available both on YouTube and Patreon. And before you ask, the membership offerings are very similar on both platforms. So you only need to join one. Some people prefer YouTube. So join us there, prefer Patreon, join us there. And since you guys have been asking for clarification, here's a breakdown of what you guys get for each tier on each platform. On YouTube, our membership tiers are $2.99 and $4.99. For $2.99, you get loyalty badges and Mon emojis on YouTube, 40% off TFD digital events, monthly office hours with Chelsea, access to our Discord community, access to our monthly book club, and access to our questions answered by me or guests on the Financial Confessions. For $4.99, you get everything from the $2.99 tier, plus exclusive ad-free videos each month where you can catch me rant about Dave Ramsey, TikTok face, girlbossing, goop, and so much more, entire backlog of ad-free bonus videos, 50% off TFD live digital events on everything from $12 workshops to $199 courses, Priority access to get your questions answered by me or guests on the financial confessions. And over on Patreon, our tiers are $7 and $12. For $7 a month, you get exclusive ad free videos each month, our entire backlog of ad free bonus videos, 50% off TFD live digital events on everything from $12 workshops to $199 courses, monthly office hours with Chelsea, access to our Discord community, access to our book club automatic enrollment in exclusive Patreon only newsletters, priority voting on the monthly book club selection, and priority access to get your questions answered by me or guests on the financial confessions. For $12, you get everything from the $7 level plus our weekly Ask TFD Anything newsletter where you get your personal questions answered by the TFD team. No topic is too small or too big to ask. The society has something for everyone, so click the link in the description of this episode to join us on your preferred platform.
1: Like when when people talk about Airbnb, I think they're trying to picture like what you're doing or like a mom and pop tiny operation. Yeah. But ultimately, that is a vanishing reality in the real world. I mean, like if you look at New York City, for example, the average New York landlord owns nearly 900 <gasps> units, according what? to an analysis by the housing nonprofit Just Fix.
3: My
0: mouth is like okay, my jaw is on the floor. And it's impossible to
1: know who you are competing with or what kind of market you're getting into or even who you're renting from because there's always a network of LLCs that I own different hate LLCs.
0: I honestly, I personally, when I'm looking at booking Airbnbs, I look at is this run by a conglomerate that have just been snapping all these things up or is it another is it truly a family? Like, am I going to be talking to the owner of that property? I think it's a completely different, just personal experience. And I definitely want to say the Arabian of the rental market is really devastating to cities all around the world, especially in Austin, where I'm at. And like, I... I understand it, honestly, because I found myself tempted to do the same thing. When we bought this new kind of larger home at the end of 2021, we had this really cute little thousand square foot starter home in the city limits. And we went under contract and I remember they came back and they were asking for all this stuff that they wanted done to the house and we were like I don't like what this is kind of crazy like we just didn't think they were being reasonable but like it was a young woman trying to buy this property and my husband was talking to his best friend at the time who was like you should just keep it and turn it into a short-term rental and he like broke down the numbers for me and showed me what we could be making and I was like damn like it, it's when it goes really well, hard. Yes, when it goes well. It goes so well. Exactly. But, but we couldn't the- have both of these things because we would have to take out a HELOC. If we would have retained that property, mm-hmm. the only way we could do that would be taking out more debt yeah. to be able to do that. And I mean, again, the numbers look really tempting, but I, I honestly, a big part of my choice was like, I really don't want to be a part of the problem in this way. I really wanted to, you know, pass on this ability to own real estate to a first time young woman so that she could do it. But I had to make that decision like
1: me. And, and it, that seems wrong. Like, it's also like where you live, you know, like if you're living in a place, like where do you, what do you want it to be like? Racial and ethnic minorities are going to be disproportionately affected by this. And by putting the squeeze on racial and ethnic minorities, you start eliminating the precious, precious diversity that is so core to so many urban identities and is so core to our culture as Americans. This is all extra hard if you're lower income in a tourist destination where your landlord or an investor might value the property that you're living in very differently than they have in the past. And ultimately, no matter where you are, <laughs> you're, 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 there's so much pressure on the local community and there's such a squeeze being yeah. put on them that the entire identities of these places are just being wiped out. And by I thought one of my neighbors, technology.
0: like the neighbors who I'd spent years like creating relationships with and be like, oh, by the way, like, now this is just a rental property and, like, you have no idea who's going to be living next to you at any given time. You know, like, you can say, like, don't talk late past this amount. But, like, what are you really going to do? No, you know, I
1: mean, <laughs> and those are just recommendations and then maybe there's a fee at the end. But what really – you can't stop people from doing whatever they're going to do once they're in the space. And when it comes to respecting the location – The identity of these places changes, especially if short-term rentals start dominating the market, and that's going to affect your ability to get bookings. Here's more on that from Julian and Kirsten Saunders of Rich and Regular.
3: I think what happens economically to these places is the same thing that we see in economics. When you have increased demand, you have increased pricing, and what happens is you price the residents out not only do you price the residents out, but you put a strain on the small businesses that are in that area who are staffing and ordering based on an assumed and a presumed traffic volume. But when these out-of-towners, these large groups, these big parties, these people who are not neighbors there, it, it, it hurts the area, not to mention the tax implications. If you have a lot of people that are taking advantage of the open vacancies, but not paying the property taxes, the sales taxes and contributing to the community in the same way that a resident would, it creates this lopsided balance sheet.
1: This has been devastating to a bunch of places. But for example, Mexico City just signed an agreement with Airbnb to promote tourism to digital nomads, which is the latest like craze for different countries trying to promote tourism oh wow and this has their residents understandably furious if you live there why would you want the local government promoting people not even moving to join the city that's the thing too i live in new york a lot of people move here and they join the community and that's a big part of what makes new york new york and it, yeah, you know, and then
0: you're invested in making a place better right and you,
1: yeah and you came here for the identity so maybe it is something you can maintain But that's not true when you turn every single block of of new or deluxe housing or any newly created units or any units that even come on the market into essentially hotel rooms. As an article in Telesure English wrote, 51 organizations refuted the decision in a statement as it is of no benefit to its inhabitants, in addition to attacking the understanding of housing as a human right. Mm. Quote, the reality for inhabitants of the historic center and a good part of Mexico City is the increase in rents for different sectors of society. An entire generation of young people who are growing up without labor rights and who are not subject to credit. Indigenous populations who continue to struggle and have their roots in the capital recognized. Elderly people who are evicted or violently dispossessed through fraudulent lawsuits. They denounced.
0: That's amazing.
1: It's good that people are finally becoming aware of the effects That this is having, especially people, you know, who could potentially be the quote unquote investors or entrepreneurs. So, you know, a lot of the people being taken in might actually identify with seeing their communities erased. So at least like the fact that it's getting so bad is causing some level of awareness that this is going on and people fighting it. But ultimately, we really do need regulation and we need economic opportunities for people so that we don't have people desperate for like a savior, quick fix, get rich quick scheme.
0: Yeah, I mean, and to be fair, I mean, this kind of using real estate to get rich, quote unquote, quick, I mean, that's been marketed by people like Robert Kiyosaki, you know, for decades. And now as we're seeing this kind of like TikTokification, right, of like taking something old-ish and then trying to market it to a new and very vulnerable community of people, you know, younger people who just don't know how something even like a mortgage works right they just don't have any idea they just see this thing on tiktok and they're like oh yeah i mean that sounds good
1: yeah here's julian and kirsten one more time with some advice on how to build wealth through real estate without getting in
4: over your head i think the reality is right now there's so many of us who are just out here trying to make it on our own Right, Like we've completely normalized the idea that everyone needs their own space. And while I certainly understand the desire and the importance of having privacy, the reality is there's a certain class of people, and certainly, uh, significant groups of people who have normalized living together because of the economic benefits that come from that. And I think sharing resources is always going to be one of the most powerful things that you can do in an unstable uh, environment. And I think that's exactly where we're in right now. Like the cost of living is ballooning across the country. And yet and still, there are so many of us who are out here committed to owning and having our own space and being optimistic that something that we can do or some collection of things that we do puts us in a position to actually be able to afford it and to continue to afford it over time. The unfortunate reality is those people oftentimes end up losing those homes. They end up losing a lot of money and spending a lot of money trying to on those homes and those properties get picked up by people who do have the means and can afford to carry those costs. It's a vicious, vicious capitalistic cycle that I think, you know, can be softened when you have people who are sharing that burden so that it's not rested on any one person who might have physical or mental limitations or just be in a position where they are forced to deal with just circumstance. Maybe it's a downsizing or a natural disaster or any number of things that can disrupt income that all of a sudden can lead to some really um, unfortunate situations downstream with respect to owning property. And so the more of us that decide that we can cohabitate, right? We've got bigger homes over the last, what, 20, 30 years. I think we've seen 150% increase in the average size of homes, yet the average size of the family hasn't grown much, right? So our homes are just getting bigger, but the same amount of people are living in them. And I think more of us need to kind of embrace that idea and make the best of that idea, bringing the elders back into the home, really pressure testing whether or not this idea of a nuclear family is financially beneficial. Uh, And I think just collectively trying to solve this problem as a community.
3: I think we also need to get used to moving. Um, And I know that Mm. sounds very privileged, but... I wanna make a point that Americans as a whole always see immigration or migration as something that somebody else does. We've been taught to stay in the same spot like a tree and plant roots. I think I've read an article from the New York Times that said the average American lives 18 miles from their mother or from a parent. And this idea that we never move for better economic circumstances, Never move for better housing opportunities. Never move for better job opportunities. Mm-hmm. It's a very American idea. And I think we'll as as we continue to populate certain areas and overpopulate them to the point where they become unaffordable, we need to be ready to to spread, to migrate.
1: Anyone purporting to tell you secrets yeah. is it such a major industry?
0: flag wave the red flag. Yeah,
1: why are they trying to keep you out of a mainstream venue? Or why do they they're trying to give you a story why you can't get these numbers anywhere but their TikTok stream? You know? Yeah. Nobody's doing it. And
0: these these people who are selling all of these, like make passive income through X. If they were taking their own advice, they wouldn't out of the kindness of their hearts decide to make this long online course just to sell you. That's how they make their money. They're not making it through what they're selling. Otherwise, they just do that and leave it there. But instead, it's like there's this whole other economy that's basically a sham of trying to sell this idea that you even can do this that this is possible that like this is how real millionaires are
1: made right and it's just it's really bogus and and frankly like i think airbnb in and of itself it it depersonalizes places it depersonalizes the actual relationships that people who own the place have with the people that are staying there. And so this scam economy isn't just preying on the desperate people getting into it as a host, but it actually causes them to prey on customers like me or maybe the person listening to this. To that end, we spoke with Sam Chemis from NerdWallet, whose work frequently covers travel and finance. And he had some simple tips for even us non-hosts to avoid getting taken advantage of via Airbnb.
5: I wrote an article last year that was basically called Airbnb is Terrible. And I don't totally believe that, but I think there has been a slow shift in the quality of these properties. And really what you were always trading off when you stayed at an Airbnb was some amount of consistency and some amount of quality for a unique experience. But as it's become more commercialized and we've seen more of these big property management companies kind of elbowing out the mom and pops. I think what we're seeing is that there's still that really inconsistent experience. Like you don't ever really know what you're getting until you walk in the front door. And yet those benefits, those kind of quirky benefits aren't there as much. One nice thing that Airbnb has added recently because people have gotten frustrated with the add-on fees is they've added the option to see the total price when you're searching for properties instead of the base price. Another thing you can do is search the reviews. So there's a little search bar on the review section on each uh, listing, and you can search for things. One thing that uh, people like to search for is whether the host canceled a reservation. So that will automatically show up as a review on the property if the host had to cancel the, the reservation at the last minute, which can be a big problem, right? So if hosts tend to do that, that will show up in their reviews. I think hotels are more consistent. They've got staff. I, I stayed at a hotel recently where the heater wasn't working and it was really cold. And so in the middle of the night, it got freezing and I called the front desk and told them and they moved me to a new room, right? Because that's what a hotel will do. And if I was in Airbnb, I would have just been out of luck.
1: You know, you go to any of these these uh, Airbnbs, it's not like you're getting even the basic dignities you get at a hotel with like breakfast and turn down service and you're not getting any of that. And it might be right for you in a specific circumstance, but I don't think it should create an expectation in people that that in exchange for their money, they're not deserving of their dignity. So ultimately, Airbnb, there is a way to make it work, but it's not easy and certainly it's not accessible to everybody. And it is very risky even if you do make it work.
0: Yeah. I think I have a great idea for like creating passive income for myself though. So basically every time somebody asks me about how to create passive income, I charge them $5.
1: (laughs) You're going to be rich in no time. That's why I got rich. I'm going to be sitting pretty. You're giving out these secrets. (laughs) The idea that anyone, anywhere, in this country especially, (laughs) could just become a millionaire or billionaire property mogul through signing some papers and flipping some things is, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. is.
0: Well, thank you for telling me that I am not part of the problem, but I kind of am, and that's okay. I'm willing to ride the line.
1: (laughs) We're all part of the problem when it comes to this stuff.
0: Thank you for... I think providing me a much better idea of the context of kind of the broader picture of what I personally have chosen to be involved in. And I'm all I can say is, like, I'm going to try and continue to do it the right way. And, you know, also, if you're looking to come to Austin anytime, (laughs) just hit me up.
1: (laughs) I absolutely will rent your house from you. Before we wrap up the show, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to our guests. You can find Julian and Kirsten Saunders of Rich and Regular at richandregular.com or on all your favorite or not so favorite social media sites like Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also pick up their book, Cashing Out, Win the Wealth Game by Walking Away in bookstores now. You can find Sam Chemis' work on NerdWallet. Or you can find Sam on Twitter at @samsambutdiff. That's at S-A-M-S-A-M-B-U-T-D-I-F. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Too Good to Be True.
0: We will see you next time.
1: Bye. Bye. Well, that's the show for the week. You can find Too Good to Be True wherever podcasts are available. And while you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show and leave us a review. I've been Ryan Houlihan and you can find me on all social media, including my Patreon, which has even more podcasts from yours truly, at Ryan Houlihan or on my personal YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at Raiho. That's at R y h o.
0: I've been Julia Lorenz Olson. You can find me on YouTube at my PBS show Two Cents, and every once in a while, I'll look at Instagram. My handle is at Yay, it's Julia.